0: podcast number 28. I was going to say this time I knew it was 28. Was it about 28 that makes you remember?
1: Oh, just that last time was 27. No, I'm (laughs) totally baffled by what number it is. The counting thing's a little lost on me. Right,
0: right, right. Summer is like dwindling down. It's kind of depressing. We're actually
1: almost at mid-July. Well, technically we are mid-July, but the midway point is this week. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, you know, while we were watching our movie today, it hit me that we are actually two months into summer movie season.
0: Mm-hmm. and when I mean, Really, there's only one major release left. Yeah,
1: and this is the kind of film that, had they weren't hedging their bets a little bit, would have come out probably earlier, but I, I'm not certain Marvel's quite, wasn't quite certain how well Guardians would go over, so they relegated it towards an August movie I think now they're looking at an extremely successful film. There's sure. plenty of buzz around it now, so
0: sure, And well, There's really no other. There's not a lot of competition around it.
1: Oh, I, I think it was actually a brilliant move putting it in August. It, it, it could have a few weeks of just absolutely no battle whatsoever. But today is about gratuitous monkey jumping. You can't get enough monkey jumping, and
0: there's plenty of monkey jumping to be had. There is. It's. Uh, it's. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes weekend. We'll get around to that. Dawn
1: of the Rise of the Planet of the Apes. What's that? I know they've already got the third one named already, but I don't, I don't remember what it was going to be. I don't know Once that. the first one was successful, they laid out what the names of all of them are going to be. And,
0: Koba's but, Revenge? I don't know. Well, the spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what are you more sick of hearing about At the moment. LeBron James or Brazil? (laughs) So here's the deal.
1: It's funny you bring this up. Today I literally was behind a car who had a bumper sticker that was I heart Brazil. But it was spelled with the S so you know it was a World Cup fucking sticker. (laughs) And I really wanted to get, we were at a four, at that funky three-way, four-way stop thing heading out my way where 22 kind of bends. And I literally, at the stop sign, wanted to get out of the vehicle, run up and punch the guy right in the head.
0: You know. Losing a World Cup match in front of your own crowd, seven, seven to one. one. Most, most <laughs> soccer teams don't score seven goals in a season, <laughs> much less in a year. In a game, this was the but, best soccer game ever, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I, I agree absolutely. But you would think that I don't know that somebody had freaking nuked Rio de Janeiro or something. <laughs> The way the Brazilians have reacted to this type of thing, like, you know, first of all, I don't give a shit. It's soccer. Second of all, get the fuck over yourselves. Oh. Like, you know, they're they're looking to for scapegoats. Yeah. So they're acting, you know, it's like it's like the freaking Americans after Katrina hit, how they <laughs> needed to blame somebody. How about the fact you just sucked that day?
1: I actually saw those. Uh, of course, since. Since the Americans have lost, all of a sudden our goaltender, what's his last name, Howard or whatever, became a hero. There was a meme the other day of him swatting tears away from the fans, (laughs) (laughs) and I actually thought that was funny
0: as shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Brazil... I know your country sucks. Oh, dude. I know. I know that you're like you're it's you're the, hanging on to the last threads of civilization before once totally going up
1: their ass in their little <laughs> bathing suits
0: <laughs> from being a third world, <laughs> world country. But get the fuck over yourselves! You lost a freaking soccer match. That's all they have. Right. That's all well, they have. Here's to look what I find to. interesting
1: too: is how much money has Brazil sunk into hosting these games all of it (laughs) so do they were they literally putting betting it all on one that that was the equivalent of the roulette thing putting all your chips in on this one chance and they lost the fucking game and they're they are going to be in debt up to their ears what would have
0: been their what would have been their benefit even if they had won
1: that somehow this government could have wrapped their arms around the fact that they are now the reigning champions of World Cup for four years. It
0: means nothing. But it's not like... Brazil has never been good. This isn't like some, like, oh, no. rags to riches story if Brazil wins this thing. No, no, no. Hell,
1: I, I, I will
0: admit that not I the was team that could in you know?
1: Orlando the year, the <sighs> day that they won the World Cup in the mid-90s, and I
0: wanted to run yeah, me over I, a Brazilian more than once. I, I guarantee it was either a sad or happy day at Disney World the day that happened, because <laughs> for at least for one day, there was no chanting in the streets. Oh, dude. I, I, I thought it was a riot. I night. go Germany,
1: as far as I was concerned, at yeah. that point Not, and, and that, and then I immediately checked out again. But, well, yeah, but the fact that it was seven to one, and Brazil was down like two or three minutes in; yeah. they were already losing, and then it kept getting worse mm-hmm. and worse. Germany just rolled them. Yeah, and it's just a great, great time.
0: You know, I, I was trying to think, you know, how like, you know, usually you're halfway through a game or a, a match, and and it's like two to nothing and it's like, oh this game's over. Yep. You know you're like halfway through. And I'm thinking like a seven to one in like in the NFL that would be the equivalent of losing like about hundred and ten to three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the equivalent of what was happening
1: to the, the Denver Broncos and some of their earlier Super Bowl losses where it was like fifty five to something and they barely even showed up.
0: Right. It was awful. Uh, it's so awesome though.
1: But and you know what's even better? Tomorrow is the final game, and we're done with it all, are we not? Yeah. Fucks. So fuck the f- World Cup. Fuck Fuck LeBron f- f-
0: too. So now that you you know, yeah, well, that's just it. Uh, you know, I, I've I have a f- couple of friends from Cleveland, and a couple of them posted something so stuff on Facebook. Um, and they're they I didn't read this letter that he supposedly wrote to Sports Illustrated about how he, he's. He, ready to come home and all this kind of stuff and people are talking like this like oh he's so guilt-ridden from leaving them the way they did and and, this is dull or are you fucking kidding me are you that dumb this this guy is the biggest egomaniacal douchebag He thinks he's bigger than the damn game. Just the fact that he wrote a letter to, to Sports Illustrated to be released along with this announcement or whatever shows you what a fucking narcissist he is. To me, this is just another spin on
1: let's have an hour-long TV show Thank to announce you. where I'm signing. Exactly. Oh, by the way, I'm punking you, Cleveland. I'm going to South Beach. And again, it always frustrated me that he didn't even call it Miami. He called it South Beach, which shows that his mind was oh, set sure. on just going for the party. Sure. Oh, and the dollar signs. Mm-hmm. So why Cleveland
0: would even want him back at this well, point? Well, that's just it. Now, and of course, now they're all open arms. Yeah. Oh, oh, but everybody's forgotten yeah. that he said "fuck you, Cleveland" no. five years ago or whatever. But I'll tell you what, Cleveland, hang on to those uh, those I hate LeBron towels because you know three four years from now when this contract ends, uh, you're going to need them. Again.
1: Yeah, they'll they'll come in handy. And Cleveland's going to hate them again. And look, I I think it's it would be great to see Cleveland win at something. Other than I't give a fuck of Cleveland other than setting mean? their own river on fire or whatever it was that they did all those yeah. years ago, but the fact of the matter is I don 't care about the fucking NBA, and yeah I'm sure Cleveland is all excited because this is what two years in a row they've had the number one pick, plus they're getting LeBron James back so realistically they've become one of the I won't say front runners, but they're a heavy contender for getting into playoffs at least. But does it mean a fucking thing? Because basically all LeBron is now is going to become a hired gun. He's going to give a few years here, a few years there, and retire into Dushosity at some point. So...
0: Yeah, fuck um, him. I don't think this makes Cleveland all that relevant at all. I mean, who's Cleveland got around LeBron? To, to they, they have
1: to hope these these young guys. Yeah, he's not out. a
0: one man gang.
1: Unless all of a sudden they go and sign one of the other big players too. Well, uh, we'll see.
0: But you know, it's just like in Miami. You know, you already had Dwayne Wade. You brought in Chris Bosh. I mean, you you you're such a, in the NBA, there's no you you buy championships. Oh, fuck that's, yeah. that's all you do. Um, I give credit for the Spurs. At least the Spurs have have been this nucleus for for God it seems like ten, twelve years now. Oh, easy. Um, and, and all they do is keep is is win. Yeah. And I yeah. have a lot more respect for that than just you know. Um, the, Tim Duncan's never gone. Ah, oh, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere. He's been loyal. No. Right. LeBron's not loyal. Oh, and you know what? I get it. Ninety percent of athletes in pro sports today are not loyal. They're chasing the money to some degree. I don't, I, I don't blame them. But LeBron is just a fucking narcissistic douchebag. Right. It's all about LeBron. We need to know what LeBron's NCAA tournament picks are. We need to. And, and, and ESPN is no more than the TMZ of fucking sports no, media. ESPN.
1: You remember ESPN back in the early, uh, late yeah. '80s, early '90s? Mm-hmm. They were a channel worth watching. You actually gave a shit. You wanted to watch right. Sports Center. You got news. You got the stories. That's it. And now it's just a bunch of bullshit. It's, it's, awful. it's because they've they tried to basically they've gone they've gone MTV. They've taken the attitude that we got we got to have a show for everything. Yeah. So now they just give anybody their own show and it becomes a bunch of filler bullshit. Instead of just repeating the same quality episode of SportsCenter a few times in the morning, yeah. no, they're going to give you nothing but bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah it's, it's absolutely wretched TV and LeBron is just their poster boy. Yeah. For, nice. th- for that sport. Yeah. For each sport, they have their own poster boys, if they can get certain things Except out of Except
0: hockey, because hockey's not a real oh, sport, right.
1: because ESPN doesn't make you money Right. Off of they, so, they, yeah, they've washed their hands of hockey. So, typically, around uh, 52 minutes into an episode of SportsCenter, you'll get a hockey minute. Yeah. Maybe a minute and a half, and that's it. It's just a waste of their time.
0: Yeah, fuck ESPN and fuck LeBron James. Yeah.
1: And while we're at it, fuck you, Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and enjoy, you know, that defeat now. Right. You, you can let that sit there for four years.
0: So, next January is the targeted premiere date for Better Call Saul. Which has already been renewed for a second season. Oddly enough, it's only a ten episode first season, but yes, it has been renewed. You know, the prequel series to Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um and they've announced that Michael McKeon will be joining the cast. I mean, didn't know he was still alive, dude. Well, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't. No word yet if Squeaky will also be along, but uh, Lenny from ha- Lauren and Shirley* will uh, will certainly be on there. What was his character on
1: *Spinal Tap*? Thel- was Saint Huggins? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I can't remember what his Spinal Tap character's name was, but
1: just picture him singing "Big um, Bottoms."
0: Right, he's going to play uh, uh, Saul, uh, Bob Odenkirk's character's brother.
1: Actually, I can see that the yep. casting,
0: and uh, they're they've already uh, latched on and brought they're bringing back uh, uh, Jonathan Banks as Mike Erman Trout. Cool, will be, which will be interesting because that's kind of like the direct link to what we know of Breaking Bad and wherever we're going to start here. I guess it's going to start about 2002, which is about five years prior to Saul meeting mm-hmm. Walter White. Um, I, I don't remember... I certainly remember the character Mike Trout in the series, but I don't remember any instance... Because he worked for Gus Fring. Right. Was Saul was he doing things legally for Gus?
1: Saul or Mike? Saul. I don't remember Saul really having any relationship with Gus. I, but I, I may be wrong on that.
0: Which is which is makes uh, yeah, I can't remember cuz that would have been around season 5ish. Like, well, Four? no, I, no actually season Gus two. came
1: in at the end of season 2, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um so I'm interested to see how Mike ties into the Saul thing five years prior to the Walter White thing. Well,
1: I've also heard that Bryan Cranston's agreed to in a few of the episodes in the first couple seasons, which means that they could very well be nothing more than crossing over on the street kind of things. Because one thing that was clear was Walter White had never really met Saul until the events around Breaking Bad. Right. It was one of those that Saul was the... One that was all over all the fucking taxi cabs and the and the t- the shitty TV commercials. Right. And 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 he latched onto him, knowing that that kind of lawyer can be a bit of a shyster, do we but th- would have connections.
0: Do we think you know, knowing that it's Vince Gilligan and his writers and stuff that are par- are, are heading this up? Do we think that this can capture what Breaking Bad was? Or are they, is Breaking Bad far enough in the rear view window now where people may not be able to get back on board where they were?
1: That's the question. Um, I think that some people can. You know, it'll, it'll depend upon the approach. Because it'll depend upon whether or not they're going to take this... Saul's role in Breaking Bad at times was borderline comedic. Mm -hmm. And if they want to take it more of the comedic approach, it'll stand on its own. If they want to be heavy, then they're trying to lock in with the Breaking Bad audience. So I I think it'll be the approach. Now, I I agree. I personally think that it may be too far removed. Come January from Breaking Bad, you'll still get some holdovers. But I don't know that you're going to have a whole lot of people that'll use that as a jumping-off point to find Breaking Bad if they hadn't.
0: Yeah, because I look at something like Arrested Development. Now, granted, this is a comedy, but it was gone, gone, you know, admittedly longer than Breaking Bad's been gone. It had a smaller audience. (laughs) Right. But when it came back, even the audience it had was like, eh, yeah, it it was all right, you know, but it wasn't like, you know, people were rabid for this to return. People mm-hmm. did, you know, pulled all-nighters to watch this on Netflix. And then, you know, while it wasn't bad, it never felt quite as good. Something was
1: missing in the Arrested Development reboot. And when you and I were talking about it just, what, last week, I think you hit it. One of the mistakes I think they made was having each episode follow a particular character. And... The lack the the lack of interactions seemed to be a little problematic. The other thing is, it just
0: I think what I think what it was for me. I mean, now there was there was a good what four or five years since was, mm-hmm. between this Arrested Development thing. Maybe maybe even more. I don't know. Um, when when the show first aired, uh, when you first saw the, those those first three seasons. That was unlike any comedy we had seen. Right. It was it was fresh. It was it was funny. It was just just a whole new but thing. Since then, but I'm not going to say it didn't come back and do the same things, but it wasn't fresh anymore. It wasn't unique. This this is this is the type of comedy that a lot of shows that are popular have copied already. Well, the that's, Office, Parks and the Rec, the past like that. ten years.
1: I, I, maybe I won't even go as far as 10. Maybe for the most part, I'll say over the past six or seven years, we have seen a new different television. And comedy is starting. Certainly you have your piece of shit sitcoms out there. You always will. But a lot of comedy, especially when you start getting into your, on your AMCs and your FXs, are taking a different approach to things. And they may be using some of the rest of development ideas. Mm. And for that reason, it may have felt it, it, Arrested Development felt a little played mm-hmm. on on this season on Netflix. It, it 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 felt a little too familiar, and and yeah, maybe it's because since Arrested Development 2, there has been some funny enough shit that yeah, people are good with it. And I think maybe it didn't age that well either. Because they even if you go back though and watch the first three seasons, seasons one and two were really funny. Season three already started feeling a little less than what the other ones were. Right. It, it What you got in season one was just so fucking off the wall. It was amazing. Season two was funny, even though for the most part the funny shit was around... Uh, Oh, come on. David Cross's character. Oh, yeah. Joining the Blue Man Group. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Tobias. Tobias, thank you. And so, yeah, it, I don't know. I'm not geeked for Better Call Saul. I will admit that. I, I'm a little nervous. I'm certainly on thing. board. I mean, I'm certainly going
0: to watch it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think being a drama, you, you, you stand a better chance of success than maybe the comedy thing did. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful because Vince Gilligan is, is still behind this, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I don't know. I, the, you know, it, it ended so well, do we really need to open that box up again? No, I, there's a part of me that would
1: almost rather not see just random Walter White appearances either, because if they feel they need to go that route, then they're not really believing this thing can stand without Breaking Bad. And that's a problem from the get-go. Let it stand on its own. I don't need to just suddenly have an appearance of Walter White driving down the road. That that won't do anything for me. No. And I don't need to make have a make up bullshit just to throw Walter White in there either.
0: So, the Emmy nominations are out. They are. And I don't want to belabor any of this. I'm not going to go through the categories and stuff. But I figured it was at least worth mentioning that, uh, that the outstanding drama show category, uh, shocking I know, of the six nominees, none of them are on network television. No, oh, right. Because network television sucks. You've got Breaking Bad, Downton Abbey, Game of Thrones, House of Cards, Mad Men, and True Detective in the uh, best of drama category. Conventional wisdom tells you that, that breaking bad might be get might get tossed hey, the bone here. Right,
1: it's probably gonna get us
0: due. Not that it doesn't deserve it. Nope. Um, but it it feels sort of like like that's where it's gonna go. True Detective could be an upstart here. Mm-hmm. I think um, McConaughey
1: I, and w- Harrelson both got nominated. They right? both got yeah.
0: nominated. Um, yeah, True Detective got some love. Orange is the New Black got quite a bit of love. Um, you know, they they got they ended up throwing themselves into the comedy category where they probably stand a little better chance. Against this, oh, I th- I think
1: that's actually a win for Orange is the New Black. Right?
0: Um, ah, see, I, I don't know, if, I don't
1: know if they win.
0: Oh no, no, no! I d-
1: understand, oh, I don't right. mean a win of the all Emmy. Right. I think it gives them a better chance than if they were going up. At, I don't know that Breaking Bad is going to be that easy to beat had they been locked in the drama because I, I uh, jumping off what you were saying already, I I think this could be the year that that, that Breaking Bad shown some love. Solely for like the entire body of
0: which will be very interesting to see when uh when Aaron Paul goes up against Peter Dinklage in a supporting role will Breaking Bad get the love there? Because say what you will about Dinklage over the years, if he deserves an Emmy for any season, it's this This one we just had. Um, but uh, yeah, Orange is the New Black. I know Taylor Schilling got uh got a nom, I know that uh. Uzo Adubu or whatever her name is, the one who plays Crazy Eyes, uh, but she's put down as a as a guest, a, a guest, not not supporting a guest actress in a in a uh, comedy series. It's weird. Her and uh, Laverne Cox, who is the uh, transgender. Who is transgender, yeah, um, you know, I, I don't understand how they categorize some of this stuff. I mean, you think whoever it was that played uh, V would have been the guest actress in a series because. Yep. You know, well for for those, she reasons. was
1: the out of character for this season, Right. and that the whole season arc was around her char- but, was around her being in this,
0: right? But the other two get the guest nods, even though they've been there since day one, mm-hmm. which that just makes no sense. In fact, Laverne Cox actually
1: had a her episode based on her story, yeah. was season one, right? So that yeah, that's very.
0: But yeah. I also like seeing Udu, U- 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 or whatever, Ubu. She, she actually was, was awesome this season, dude. Yeah, she was. They
1: did a lot with her character, and her the episode based on her was actually one of the better, I thought, this mm. season. Yeah. But granted, it's, it's kind of hard to judge that show against its own episodes, because it's just amazing from begin to end.
0: Right. It, There's still a couple of... Um, Holdovers from network TV in the comedy category. You still have Big Bang Theory in the of mix course. there. Um, and a, uh, Modern Family is still in there. But then you've got Orange is the New Black. You've got Veep. Um, there's another one that I can't remember the name of that was uh, that's off network and stuff. So my goal, my hope is that at one day all network shows are either eradicated completely or they finally wake the fuck up and start giving us stuff realize worthy what works. Yeah, start giving us stuff worthy of of nominations. The only the only one that's getting any like any major love in the drama is is uh, the good wife. The good
1: wife, yeah, and which that, that one's had good, to run,
0: but it's just not. I'm not a target
1: audience, and I just don't know that I have any interest.
0: Well, and it still didn't get. It still didn't crack for best drama series. Still wasn't able to crack that nut, but you know a couple of the actors and stuff are on there.
1: Did Margulies get nominated?
0: Uh, she... I I don't remember. She usually does.
1: She and Baransky from that one get Baranski, nominated. I I'm ninety know... percent certain Baransky yeah, did.
0: Baransky did. Uh, I I would imagine Margulies did, but I, I, I'm not positive. I don't have it in front of me, but. Yeah, uh, you know uh, the Emmys. Eh. Well, I
1: know they're 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 still kind of like award show light. Yeah. Not as bad as going frickin' the MTV Movie Awards or something, right? right. But there's something that feels. Well, even if you look at, we're talking about Breaking Bad being nominated for an Emmy, mm-hmm. and that show really has been off the air for a year. And we're talking about comparing it against Tyrion Lannister's act. Well. Dinklage acting this past season, which just ended two months ago, not even right. It's the the way the Emmys even do that to me is just strange. They have this really large window of what they'll call this season of the season of the Emmy noms. I don't quite get it.
0: Right. Um, that's all I really had for news, unless you have something you needed to bring up. Uh,
1: it's pretty, been pretty quiet news week, in all honesty. I can't think of a hell of a lot that's gone on. Right. And plus, I know we got plenty to cover.
0: Yes, we have a big What We Watch segment
1: coming up. And it's worthy discussion, not me discussing Amazon women in prison on the moon 13.
0: Part 2. All right, we'll we'll break here and we'll be right back. Come on, Maddie. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the (laughs) stars.
1: Cowboy heroes. Cops and robbers, glamour and
0: strife, bigger than life. <laughs> Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies and we wait and see. So I've seen a lot of shit. One or two movies. Since the last, well, since last week, I've seen 11 flicks, including the one today that we'll talk about later.
1: Yeah, you're way ahead of me. I've seen four, well, five if you include today's.
0: No, but that's a lot.
1: For me, it is. Right. Plus, why I've been trying to get caught up on the bridge. That started just this week, and I'm within three episodes of being there, so.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been, I'm watching The Leftovers, um... HBO. I haven't started, I've heard
1: some decent things about that one. It's
0: interesting, you know, I, I don't think it's grabbed me 100% yet, but it, it's certainly interested in see what happens next, so yeah, yeah it's only I've, two episodes in.
1: I'm trying to decide if I want to go and actually, now that the season's over, once I get caught up with a bridge, go and catch Penny Dreadful from beginning to end. I All I watched was the first episode, and it didn't do that much for me. Right. But for me to judge a show on one episode is not fair. I know this, this show built a decent fan base, yep. and it was already signed on for at least one more, if not two more seasons.
0: We have The strain starting tomorrow, tomorrow night.
1: And again, I don't get FX starting a show on Sunday night. They never have gone on the Sunday night thing. Sunday's always been their day of just running movies to go against whatever's on for sports.
0: And, and I'm interested in in the strain, but I'm not like I'm not geeked for it no. in any stretch.
1: And the, here's the deal, I've heard enough about the books and the way I understand it is the first book is really good. The second book's alright and the third book's a piece of shit and that's all there's out there. So I and I've heard that this the show they're already saying when it tries to be creepy it does a good job. When it tries to have a bunch of emotion it Falls flat, so I'm a little nervous about that. But, you know, uh, I'll, it's Del Toro. I'll give it a shot. I'm not the person who gives Del Toro a pa- complete no. pass on everything.
0: No, I've seen Because I have
1: seen some stuff that he's done that's yeah. not that good. Yeah. The, but...
0: The People Under the Stairs or whatever the hell that was that he produced. Yeah,
1: way back in the day, yeah. And uh, Pacific
0: Rim... was and, an overrated uh, film. It
1: was yeah. fun, yeah. but
0: it's overrated yeah. and...
1: In my mind, when I saw it the second time, it didn't really hold up. Yeah. I enjoy it way more as a spectacle on the big screen. Yeah. Watching that one on the little screen after it just didn't do as much for me. I've never put it in again after that, so.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I know you've seen this one too, but I figured I'd start with uh, the worst of all of them. Under the Skin. Yeah. What a piece of shit this flick is! It
1: was, and you know, I knew I was in for trouble. With the first shot, was like a red dot in the middle of the screen, yeah. literally for what three minutes? Yeah, well, that it was that Terrence
0: behind any or sound?
1: And then all of a sudden, you realize, no, there's sound. It's this very, very low constant hum. Yeah. Then it this the then it pulls back, and all of a sudden, it becomes a planet with another like moon going by it, then it pulls back and it's an eye sh- eyeball. You're already five minutes in and you finally get eyeball out of this yeah. movie.
0: Well, that's about all you get out of this movie. This is one of those ones where I think you know, nine out of ten people are going to hate it like we do and mm-hmm. you'll get that one douchebag who thinks this is just high art that we don't understand. This is a pretentious piece of shit.
1: Yeah, completely. It has
0: no point. None. Unless you rip. Re- Really, you just want
1: scenes of Scarlett Johansson driving around town. Right. Because how many shots were there of that up in the corner of the cab camera of her just driving? Yeah. Literally, half an hour of this movie was just that right. shot.
0: I, 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 I checked my watch... I don't have a watch, but you know what I mean. Metaphorically, check my watch more times for this than I think I have in any movie. Going, how much... I knew this thing
1: was an hour and 50 minutes. How much longer?
0: Yeah, it's painful.
1: And this is one of those movies that uh, I'm going to call guys out because there's going to be the guys who are curious because this is the movie that's famous because Scarlett Johansson's nude in it. Do yourself a favor. Just Google the images. Do not go to see this movie solely for that because you will be... Really bummed at what you get. This movie it just doesn't do anything. It, it's got the, it's supposed to be this big creepy movie of this being just stalking dudes around the countryside of Scotland, but it goes nowhere. Unless and it,
0: she doesn't discriminate against the deformed.
1: No, cause that, but that scene with the dude with the elephantism was really really creepy. I didn't even know where we were going here.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, I at that point I didn't even care. I, this this is a piece of shit. It,
1: it was it was it was boring. It literally this is one of those films that when it's done you will literally say, well that's two hours of my life. In fact, I thought it had to have been four hours of my life I just uh, wasted. Yeah, it's, it's awful. Brilliant. I cannot recommend it. If you check IMDb, you are certainly right. The vast majority of people rating it on IMDb are those film people. Oh, this is a spectacle of filmmaking, the most beautiful film ever. And
0: well, see, I didn't even think that. No, I, you know, I, I'm not a fan of like Terrence Malick and stuff like that. But I'll, but I'll admit that his his stuff looks good. Right. This didn't even look good to me. I, I thought it
1: just looked like they put a, a filter on the lens and just shot the thing. Boom. Yeah. I, I didn't get any of it. To me, it's it's the quote of, it's the same people that if you splat paint on a canvas, they'll proclaim that it's a beautiful work mm-hmm. of art. No, I splatted paint on a canvas. Right. That one was painted by an elephant. Doesn't make it a beautiful work of art. It was right. painted by a fucking elephant. This was the painted by an elephant piece of shit film. I, yeah.
0: It's just as awful. Yeah, it's garbage. Don't waste your time. No, I,
1: this doesn't even warrant a one out of five. No,
0: nah, not at all. Um, another one I saw... Um, that you didn't see, I know yeah, enjoy that um, another one that while it's certainly better than Under the Skin was one, is one of these ones that you know higher people are sort of rallying around a little bit it's called Lock hello
1: Eddie, it's your dad Is uh, is your mother there? Uh, no, she's not back from the shops yet. Um, she's getting that German beer that you like for the match.
0: Okay, uh, listen, I won't be back for that.
1: What? Uh, something's come up. I can't get out of it. I'm wearing the shirt. Uh, Mum's getting sausages. <laughs> oh, yeah, and guess what? She's wearing the shirt as well. Oh, Dad, it, it's so embarrassing. Um, yeah, what did you say about coming home? I won't be back for the match. I'll, uh, I'll have to listen to it on the radio.
0: Dad, you said you'd be back. It's rubbish on the radio. Mum's doing sausages and all. Is your brother there? Yeah, do you want a word? No. Uh just tell you just tell your mother to
1: call me when she gets back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Hi, I love you. What? Uh
0: that's okay. Do you know what? Just uh, just get her to call me when she gets back. Yeah. Thank you. Sure, all right. I, Bye then. And it stars Tom Hardy, and well, it really only stars Tom Hardy, at least visually, uh, about a dude who gets into his car at night, coming home from work, and just starts driving and making and taking all of these phone calls. So it's this—it's this one guy in this one location, like a Ryan Reynolds in *Buried*, or you know, just that type of thing, James Franco in *In 127 Hours*. It's one guy and and the decisions that he has to make and what we what we learn through these things is that he's whatever his job is um he's got a a big thing that's going down the next day and all of a sudden he's saying i'm not going to be there and his work is on the phone freaking out at him um his wife keeps calling wife and kids keep calling him and and can't figure out why he's telling them I, I won't be there and stuff. And then there's another person who keeps calling him. This girl keeps calling him, and she's in the hospital, um, in labor. And as the thing unfolds, you find out that he had an affair uh, on the wife, and it's his kid. That's it's she's in labor. They're like two completely opposite ends of the of the city, or, or well, actually, she's in London. And he doesn't live anywhere near London. And it's just, he keeps making these decisions and, and talking to these different groups of people. You know, they're, they're badgering him about the work. The, the wife is like, she finds out that he cheated on her. And then she's a fucking wreck. And the kids are on the phone trying to go, Dad, Dad, when are you coming home? And this stuff. It's just fucking boring. I, di- I didn't find it. I mean, Tom Hardy is fine. But I didn't find the whole story all that particularly interesting. I don't really give a shit which way you're going, dude. I don't give a shit that you cheated on your wife. I don't give a shit that you you you, you think you're coming clean and doing the right thing, which is ultimately what this is supposed to be. He has to has to get to. And, and by the way, we never get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it ends before he actually gets to London and whatever. Um, it's just boring. Just uh, just absolutely boring. I. I I thought "Buried" with Ryan Reynolds had a lot more interesting things to to say. It was it was more tense. It was more interesting. Um, but this here, just I, I didn't care.
1: Question for you: Are people trying to turn Tom Hardy into a bigger actor than really he needs to yeah, be?
0: He might, maybe.
1: And and I'm, I'm not. i obviously haven't seen this, but. It just seems like people have decided Tom Hardy is supposed to be this really huge actor. Yeah, and I just find that I neither like him nor dislike him. He—he's just Tom Hardy. Yeah, there's nothing to really embrace here, and and I I think they're really trying to attach him to these kind of films and make him just, just Large in life thing, and I just don't think it works. No. I think that in the end, basically, you're going to say, Well, he was Bane.
0: I th- Well, I think you throw him into the buckets with the Gerard Butlers and, yeah. and Eckhart that, and things like that. They're that's good. A,
1: that's a great call out. They're Same good, but it. they're not memorable. No, they, they, they've they been at their best when they've just been given a character you actually are intrigued to watch, but it's not really their job doing it, it's the character that they're portraying. Right.
0: Um, yeah, it, it's, it's boring. It, it's not even worth your time. It's, it's all night time. So he's in a, in a car, in a dark car. There's nothing, nothing to look at. There's, there's I'm already bored just thinking. Yeah, about there's it. an uninteresting story. Um, yeah, you know, the one that's just, just not worth your time at all. Um, that was Lock. All right. Um, You've got enough. Why don't you knock another one off? Well, well, no, I'll try to go through what the next or least interesting one um, that I have on here. And, and, and this is one that I'm not going to say isn't worth a look, um, but it isn't one that you need to put high up on your list. And it's another one of those festi- festival darlings, Obvious Child.
1: I can't believe he walked into the store. That's a sign. And that would be a sign saying... Like that I'm a present in a box, and that
0: he and I should go and start our beautiful life together.
1: You know, I'm not a straight guy.
0: Oh, what? (sighs) But my guess is that most of them would hate that gift. What? You're saying that? (laughs) A guy doesn't want a drunk pregnant girl in a box? Uh, if you're a serial killer.
1: Maybe you want to tell him.
0: No, why?
1: Why? You don't owe him anything. You don't even know this guy. Maybe he just deserves to, to know that like this happened,
0: that I'm not a psycho, and I'm going to get an abortion. You know, if I got someone
1: pregnant, I would want to know.
0: If you got someone pregnant, I would also want to know.
1: Probably every newspaper would want to know, because all of a sudden some dude's mouth would be pregnant. Oh, my God! God. It's yeah, because this is what I actually want to see, because the love it's getting.
0: Well, yeah, and I'm I'm not going to say don't see this movie. There, There's, it's, it's Wonderfully active. Jenny Slate is in this, and she does a, a great job. Um, it, it's it's mumblecore, so it for every every great thirty second scene in there, you're gonna have to wait another fifteen minutes to get around to another one, mm-hmm. and you know it's it it feels. A little bit more on naturel I mean it's not like forced Hollywood stuff. It feels fairly organic. It feels like this is how a real life could could unfold and 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 people how people react to things and feel about things so yeah it, it's honest again it's it's just not all that her, her life just isn't all that interesting you know she has a few moments where where it's just a little bit funny. But it's really just this this woman going through her life and and dealing with some consequences for some choices she made, um, you know, it, in life and love. And eh, okay, you know, like I said, it, it the acting is good. If you can sit there without fidgeting and choke down a mumblecore, and and I can if it's done right. I think Francis Hot was one of my favorite movies from two years no, ago. I didn't mind Francis Hot. I didn't even. But it really felt like, hate drinking buddies and drinking yeah, buddies
1: right. was it was it, it's it all was mobile, a for sure. Right.
0: Um, you know Jeff who lives at home is another one. Yeah, the Duplass brothers get all over this this stuff. Uh, you know, so there, there's there's good stuff to be had in the mumblecore genre, but you gotta give me at least something interesting going on. Right. And I just didn't find Jenny Slate's character all that interesting. Mm-hmm. Well acted, worth looking. If if you've Run through your list of everything else that needs to be seen. Yeah, you can pop it in and and, and deal with it. You know, um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I can't give it more than a two out of five. All right. So, um, you got anything? Or you want me to keep going? Uh, uh what what, what grading are you?
1: You just get a two. Actually, you know what? I'll jump off with a with a something in that range in that range. In that range yes. All right. um, so, I saw the uh, the film that a lot of people are excited to see called Very Good Girls, and that's the one with Dakota Fanning and Elizabeth Olsen. And it's basically a, a re another take on the Little Darlings idea to bring a, a movie up from our youth where. It's these two girls who are, are graduated from high school. They're about to go off to college. Both of them are virgins. They make a pact that they have got to lose their virginity.
0: I can't believe that you were talking about sex. Apparently in my house, you don't really talk about it. You just do it. we are the last ones? On Earth. Erasmus at St. Anne's. That's basically the same thing.
1: We're going to fucking college and we're still virgins. We gotta get over this hump. You didn't say
0: that. <laughs> uh, did you see this in the to do list? <laughs> we, we did,
1: but the to do list was interesting. What this film's approach, though, Little Darlings had a sense of humor about it. Well, it was a comedy. Right. Was this, this not film, a comedy? This film wants to be a comedy, but it wants you to always... Re- it's It's got this theme that the teenage girls' friendships last forever. So it really feels, as you watch this film, like... You know that the person shooting this was using a fluffy bunny camera. And you expected to see little flowers in each corner of the screen. Because life ain't like this. The girls, of course, fall for the same guy. He's...
0: Because that happens.
1: Right. And it's got the most ridiculous plot line that Dakota Fanning loses her virginity to him. While Elizabeth Olsen is actually the one in love with him.
0: Did and, she jump into a canoe to canoe over to the boy's camp to lose her reserve? No. <laughs>
1: okay. No, she went to his uh, one of those uh, one of those cases where it's a dude who's literally selling ice cream on the boardwalk and yet when she goes to his loft apartment, you're going dude must be making huge bank selling ice cream on the boardwalk cuz this apartment's fucking insane. But somehow she carries on this long-standing this this multi-week sexual relationship with this guy well, Elizabeth Olsen's talking about how much she loves him and has got another date with him, and, and, and. And it's got this, the standard tropes fall just like, so paid by numbers. It gets to that point where, of course, Elizabeth Olsen finds out there's the conflict. They hate, or she hates Dakota Fanning. Oh, you know, all of a sudden she shows up. Our friendship will last forever. Credits. Okay. It was, again, so... Paint by numbers—you've seen it before. None of it works. You—you you really found yourself thinking: if teenage girls are really like this, then they don't have any thought processes. Well, you can make a comment for that. And if—if if you read message boards, it is right full of people saying, "Oh, this so captures the way girls are relationship-wise." And if you—that's what yeah, you're looking yeah, for in a movie, fine. fine. But I—I don't buy it. I've known enough to say that, no, this movie's bullshit. It was boring, it's played out, and go see Little Darlings, or the to-do list, because they're much better films. Right. Two out of five, tops.
0: Right. Um, well, the next one, unless you have another two out of five... I do not. I have a two and a half out of five, and this this may be interesting, because I, I know it's one you've seen, but I'm not sure that you're going as low as two and a half out of five. Oh, then... Um, bad words. You're not eligible in any fashion, way, shape,
1: or manner. Page 39 of the Golden Quill National Spelling Bee Rulebook. This is rule number 24. This is subpoint B. This is a quote Speller must not have passed beyond the eighth grade on or before February 1st, 2011. That is a rule written by the governing institute. And if you want, you can continue to ogle my transcript. Just please don't wrinkle it any further. But you can see there, unfortunately, I have not passed. The eighth grade on or before February first. Not ever. That may be, but, but sir, I can go on. I can go on and on
0: and on. There are
1: eighty three paragraphs, five hundred and eighty one lines of rules in the rule book, but let me assure you I'm compliant with every single one of them.
0: The spelling bee is meant for kids, not adults
1: that, that, that couldn't even graduate the eighth grade. Oh, boy. Are we past
0: the rules and into the insults now? Is it insult well, I'm time? Sorry, because your potholder vest is about to take pot heavy fire. You ready but... for that? Which I know you saw, right? Last night. Okay. Oh, me too. Um, I think it started out real promising, and I thought there was a couple of really hilarious one-liners that came out of Bateman, Mm -hmm. especially when he was trashing out his little Indian friend. (laughs) That he called called Slumdog. Oh, Slumdog, (laughs) called him shawarma, called him something else, too, that oh shut your curry hole yep. and things like that he was totally like like off-color racism i thought i, I thought bateman was good basically this is about a 40 year old guy who who enters as a contestant to the national spelling bee yeah, finds, which of course is for kids
1: right he finds the loophole that yeah. says that you have you you
0: you couldn't have finished, finished eighth grade right
1: and the loophole is that it doesn't put an age on it, and he never actually finished school, so that's his loophole. Right.
0: I thought when they were do- when they were looking at this from the comedy aspect, when they were letting Bateman just riff and completely just trash out the people, and just because with- Bateman's always just got that that deadpan. look to him, you know, he doesn't that's just the way Bateman is, in everything Mm -hmm. Bateman's just that dead man Bateman's Bedman, yeah, exactly and I thought when they allowed him to do that when when he was, you know, making fun of one of the moms or anything like that, I thought it was funny as hell, I thought it was great when they got off of that and tried to make this more about about the finding of the father the and stuff. The finding of the father and things like that. I thought it <sighs> fell apart completely and didn't work at all. Especially in the end, which is extremely anticlimactic. Okay, great. You know who your father is and stuff. So what was accomplished here? Yeah. What was the whole point of of Catherine Hahn as this reporter?
1: I didn't understand her inclusion in this film whatsoever. They, it, it, other than the fact that he had to have representations, the one the thing that they said, yep. by somebody in the, some news agency, which she was, right. but there seemed to be no point to it because when there were a few scenes when she was trying to nail him down for things other than banging. Right. And he just kind of shrugged it off and didn't want anything to do with it. So... It, this movie's biggest fault is, I think it tried to have a heart where it didn't need it, heart. Yeah. It, it just needed to be a comedy. Right. And I actually completely agree with the 2.5 out of 5. I really, really, really wanted to love this movie. And early on, it's so easy to love. And yes, yeah. the kid that plays, the, the little 10-year-old Indian kid, was an absolute riot. Yeah. Absolute riot. He made this film so much fun to watch when it's trying to be fun. Right. But... Towards the last half hour, it really devolves into their budding friendship, which is fine. The, their friendship, there were parts around that that were fine. But also the quest for fathers, and I'm going to say fathers plural, for making yeah. one's father happy. Well, really for making both fathers happy. Yeah. That really didn't need to be there because it ended up weakening what could have been a fantastic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, the What's interesting is you know that I'd tried been trying to watch it and only got like twenty minutes in like four times. I saw some of the funniest of twenty minutes over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. But the last when It's funny, part, it's funny. It's an absolute riot.
0: When he's setting up the little kids for failure it, it, is it, a dude, freaking
1: riot, just hilarious. And the things that he was saying to some of them was oh, just yeah. freaking incredible. Oh, yeah.
0: hard art stuff there. Her I talking mean, about the kids, the Asian kids, mom being a stuff. Like <laughs> <up and
1: he's laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and then the 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 red spot on the poor girl's pants, and yep. and even the first time he meets the Indian kid, when he's on the flight. He's like, well, the Indian kid, what should, what word did what word got you here? He's like, what is it, auto, uh, auto fellatio know, or Felicia. something?
0: Yeah, what, what's the, auto means when the lady goes you, back? Ask her, she loves that one. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, it was it was funny to that degree, and and the humor that is in it is what I give it the two and a half yeah. for. But when it's not when it's not trying to be a comedy, I think it fails. What I
1: found fascinating was, and you already hit it, it actually has some of the funnier, borderline racist humor that you you <laughs> dare to put in any film right now, right. and that to me was its strongest point. When it hit that again, the fact that he was calling the kid fricking slumdog alone absolutely killed me. Yeah. So, but because of the emotional piece, you just come out at the end going, eh, I, all right. I that I've seen it. Yeah. Don't need to revisit it. Right.
0: Um You have one more, right? I have one more, yes. Um I have one, two, three, four, five more.
1: <laughs> Mine falls in the two point five range too, so do you want we just want to go in order of range. I'm fine with that dude. All right. That's so the next film I saw actually was in the theater, is in the theater now. I actually saw Deliver Us from Evil last weekend. Uh-huh. And it, as you've seen by the trailer, <laughs> it's, it's a return to the Exorcist type films. by his last name is the guy Derrickson, is that yeah, his name, Scott, the director? Scott Derrickson. Who gave us Exorcism of Emily Rose and Sinister. Sinister. I can never remember the name of that movie, even though that, was, that film had potential. And I actually like Exorcism of Emily Rose a lot. And this is another one of those, quote-unquote, based on true events. In this case, a uh, a police detective in New York City who's brought to the scene of just some uh, absolutely horrific, horrific apparent homicides, finding a dead baby in a dumpster, that type of thing. And as they start digging into it, they find that there's almost this... Cult going on. It's these dudes who were all had all served in the military together. Something that happened, and literally the first scene is what kind what leads up to what happened. They find themselves in a cave. Something goes on. Fast forward to modern time to now with this cop finding the the baby. Then there's a, another scene where you see a woman just tossing her kid into this pit at a zoo, into a lion pit, and. It has so many creepy elements early on that the film's promising. But the problem is, it doesn't really do enough with it. It it, it follows just too many of the, well, we've seen this before, horror tropes. There's always, in this case, they reference that there's, there's these runes that people are painting. And there's a reference to doors to other planes. So whenever something bad's going to happen, all of a sudden the doors start playing. And you go, only in bad horror movies do you follow these kind of tropes. We don't need this. Bring on the creepy. Don't bring on the music stuff. It doesn't work. Um there is an interesting exorcism scene towards the end of it. It lasts about 20 minutes, and that really is kind of the movie saving grace. By then I was really starting to get frustrated with the film. Um the police detective is played by Eric Banna. Eric Banna is Eric Banna. He's neither good or bad in anything he does. Joel McHale's in it. Joel McHale in this is fucking huge. I don't know what steroids he's on, but he's gotten massive. Hmm. His, he's got guns that are I didn't realize he had. And he he's fine, but they don't really do enough with his character. Do I believe that this is a true story? Eh, like most of them, I find it really hard to buy into. There may be some elements of it, but I'm saying no. If you watch it, watch it for that exorcism scene. It is well done. They get way, it's way more of the level of what you saw in Friedkin's The Exorcist. That it's literally a 20 minute long segment that, that, that captures the film. Other than that, this film will out and out be boring at times. All the creepy stuff is in the trailer. See the two and a half minute trailer, you're going to see everything except for The Exorcist. Uh, Exorcism itself, two and a half out of five. I didn't hate it. Can't really recommend it. Some people actually latch onto it and enjoy the film.
0: Cool. So the next flick that I'm going to bring up is uh, one that I'd been looking forward to because I thought I thought the first movie in this franchise was hands down one of the greatest action flicks I'd ever seen, and that was Oh, great I know where you're going. Okay. Yes. Well, I I finally got around to catching The Raid 2, Barendal. Now, it's a longer flick. It's over two hours. Um, And I will say that the fight scenes in this are, again, absolutely off the hook, top notch. But this isn't... I don't think this is as advertised in in that it's just a non-stop barrage of fights. There's a lot of fights but again, this movie is well over two hours long.
1: What would make a raid movie two hours plus? Uh, is it, there a point where you're hitting too much here?
0: Well, and there's here's the other problem with it. And this was a Redbox rental. Um, they did not subtitle it. They dubbed it. Ugh. And they dubbed it in cheesy stupid old style asian dub it it sounded like two just pathetic white dudes hanging out in a room with stupid dialogue and it doesn't of course doesn't match the guy on screen right. and stuff like that so that right there you've taken me out of your story altogether mm-hmm. if this is dumb this this isn't this isn't a Godzilla flick from from the fifties that I'm watching here where I can I can you know reconcile with this where I expect that kind of thing. This here should be. I, I would rather have it subtitled, so I, I don't mind reading reading the stuff. Mm-hmm. But but they dubbed it, and it, so that just took me out of it. And there's a lot of stretches in between these fights where there's not a lot a whole a whole lot happening. Um. You know, it's it's ultimately a it centers around Rama, the the main cop character from the last one, and and the groups that he gets involved with, and there's there's betrayal, and there's there's people teaming up with the thing and making making you know Godfather like plots and stuff like that. Um, which which is all fine, but a little harder to, to follow when you're really not into the whole dub thing. Mm-hmm. It, it really was just worth watching for the fight scenes, which only constitutes about half of this two-hour-plus thing.
1: Yeah, because the, the raid was... Literally, it's once that movie got going, it didn't fucking stop. Yeah. It was almost two hours, mm-hmm. but it was literally almost two hours mm-hmm. of constant, Right. Action, exhausting action.
0: Right. Yeah, um, and and this isn't and this isn't that. Hmm. Certainly worth watching the fight scenes. They're 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 awesome, and there's some unique shit too. I mean, just some of the some of the locations and some of the weaponry that they use around them and stuff like that. There's some really really cool stuff like that. Um, and, and I I would say watch it for that. Um, just you know if you can get past the the shitty dubbing and stuff like that and and try to pay attention to to what the story is I mean, there's a little bit there I mean, it's in, it, it's somewhat interesting but it's just it's tough to watch when they do that um, but i I'm, I'm sort of falling i think i'm going to give my first 2.75 cuz i can't wow i can't convince myself to give this groundbreaking a
1: groundbreaking event
0: i cannot convince myself to give this a 3 but I don't want to. I don't want to put it back in a two and a half either. So it, it, it's somewhere in between there. Um, it, overall, a little disappointing considering how good people have been saying it is, and and my excitement from it based off the first one. But eh, all right, sort of meh. Um, what do we got here? One, two, three, four. Um, cool documentary I, I dig the docs this is one that I know you've been waiting for and I've been waiting for for a while I finally caught it life itself Shaz was probably more life altering for him than his TV show she really really
1: liked him for what he was and not who he was
0: She changed his life immeasurably. She changed his personality. Hey, I was eight months pregnant and Roger grabbed the cab in front of me in New York. (laughs) It's not that kind of guy now. I think Gene was so happy that Roger found his mate. He was 50 years old when we got married. He used to tell me, I waited just about all my life to find you, and I'm glad I did, and I'm never gonna let you go. I mean, the documentary about Roger Ebert, which, if you listen to critics, they're giving this thing an A
1: across the board.
0: Um, and that's fair. I don't have any interest, uh, any any issue with that. I mean, I, you know this this type of documentary. What do you what what do you what do you give I mean, how do you how, how do you give something like this a C or something? What, you either like it or you don't like it. There's a certain this is part a pass of pass fail thing. Not it suppose so there's a part of me that says
1: kind of what you're just implying. You have to go more pass fail, and the A's are because it's critics talking about Roger Ebert. Yeah. less I mean, about the documentary and more about the respect for Roger. Ebert. And this
0: isn't this isn't a documentary with a message. This isn't something that's trying to convince you of anything. That
1: big oils is, at the background of right, everything.
0: Right, 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 right. Um yeah, this this isn't that type no of fracking. documentary. This is a this is a biographical documentary where you you're just you're just learning more about the man. So, yeah, for me it's you can't even really put a letter grade or a number grade on it. It's a pass fail thing. And for me it's a pass. Um, so it's either A or it's F. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a real intimate look into Roger Ebert and sort of his impact on the whole critic world. But a lot of time, is, this whole thing was spent like within the last four months of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you see in in all the fine gory details of what he was going through with the, with the jaw cancer, the thyroid cancer that took his jaw and stuff like that. I mean, they show a couple scenes where he's getting his tracheostomy suction and stuff like that and you know, it it's it's not it's not like graphically gross or anything like that, but it's it's certainly personal mm-hmm. from his perspective and he wanted that to be he said, "This is who I am today. So this is who this is who you need to and see." I'm fairly
1: certain his wife had signed off on all of it too. Well,
0: um, yeah, I, I don't think he would have done it because she's certainly a, a part of it. Um, and then it's just, it goes back to some of his earlier days when uh, when uh, him and him and uh, Siskel were when they formed at the movies and, and how how they were at each other's throat all the time. They were they weren't really good friends they were they were sort of bitter rivals because you had ebert of the chicago sun times and you had siskel at whatever the the other yeah the tribune in chicago which so they were always competing for spotlight and when you put them together um you know they, they were always that was always in the background how how you know we're sort of the enemies it's sort of like if if you if you had uh if you put the, the Red Sox announcer and the Yankees announcer in the booth to talk about baseball, yep. you know? Um, but it, there's there's some pretty comical back, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with them, doing some different takes on their, on, for promotions for the stuff. And, and, and they... They grew to respect each other over the years. Richard Roper completely ignored in this doesn't doesn't discuss really cause doesn't it, discuss at the it movies. It was about a six year movie. run oh, with yeah. Roper, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Does not does not discuss at the movies post Gene Siskel. Hmm. Um, you know, it goes back into how how Ebert was uh, an alcoholic. That's actually where he ended up meeting his wife uh, and all that. So. Uh, yeah, really good. I mean, I I've, I was critical of Ebert towards the end of his life because I thought he got just a little... He was angry. Uh, well, it, and to some degree, maybe he had a right
1: to be... Well, but, let me rephrase, jadedly angry. Yeah.
0: Um, he, he started getting... He started piping up a little bit too much of shit that wasn't movies. And I don't want to know Roger Ebert's opinion on right. life. I want to know Robert G, Roger Ebert's opinion on movies. Um, but from that perspective, and I didn't agree with him every time, but... He's he was an eloquent writer. He was he was great. His reviews were great to read, uh, and that's the Roger Ebert that that I respect. Um, but you know whether you're a fan of him or not, I don't see how you can walk away from this not you know having at least respect for the guy for for what he did, mm-hmm. what he went through, all that stuff.
1: Well, and I know you're like me. I I used to love watching after movies. I was, oh, yeah. and, and even when I was a kid. And I'd always had a bit of a love for the movies, and I could not wait to see at the movies. Saturday afternoon, if I could find a way, well, I that was, was watching That was
0: the it. definitive thing. That, that, at that point in time, that determined whether you were going to see a movie or not. Right.
1: Yep, the thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah, that that what what was their attitude because they knew what kind of movies we we're seeing. Right, you had to what we were going to spend your money on.
0: Right, and and those off chances where they'd be one up and one down, it was a matter of who you whose opinion you meant more. To right, it. and for me, it was always Ebert when it came to
1: those. two. I would agree. There was something when Siskel and Ebert were together, Ebert always seemed like the man.
0: Yeah, Siskel looked like a pedophile. It, I, I would agree. <laughs> A little rapey. uh, We'll we'll just grade that one as a pass. All right. All right. Um, Next movie I saw. This is a marathon of movies. Um, Every so often, every couple of years, a new sci-fi flick comes along and just out of nowhere.
1: This is on my agenda for this weekend.
0: Kicks you in the nuts and goes, holy shit, that was awesome. Where the fuck did that come from? Mm Mm-hmm. No, District Nine did it, uh Looper did it, yep. uh, Inception to some degree did it, so even though it had a bigger name like Christopher Nolan behind it, it was still one of those Yeah, you
1: didn't know what the hell it was gonna be. Right.
0: And even earlier this this year, I, I would I would say Edge of Tomorrow to some degree yeah. not as good as those other ones, but to some degree better than you they, would have expected. They, right. It to gave be. me way more than I was expecting from that film. Right. So along comes Snowpiercer. Wanted me, won't
1: be. I you catarina braves,
0: you filthy ingrates!
1: You people who would I know for the benevolent Wilford would have frozen solid eighteen years ago today. You people who have suckled the generous titty of Woodford ever since for food and shelter. And now, in front of our hallowed
0: water supply section, no less, you repay his kindness with violent organism, you scum! Precisely seventy-four percent of you shall die. My friend, you suffer from the misplaced
1: optimism of the doomed.
0: Which I didn't really admittedly really knew nothing about going into it. All of a sudden I'm just hearing this love for this movie, Snowpiercer, and I'm like, the fuck is Snowpiercer? I I pay attention to sites and stuff like that. Not a lot of movies sneak up on me, but mm-hmm. Snowpiercer was one of them. So, I'm like, ah, fuck it, I'll check it Especially out.
1: Especially movies with Tilda Swinton. You don't mass- miss miss right. a good Tilda Swinton, right? Account.
0: Tilda Swinton, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, plus, uh, um, Ed Harris is in this. Chris mm-hmm. Evans, who you don't even recognize. This ain't your Captain America. Chris Evans in this, but he but he's great in this. Um, and basically, it's about um, there was to combat global warming scientists created something that you shoot up into the atmosphere that will help to um, lower the earth's core temperature to a a manageable level. So, so that, you know, the ice caps don't melt and the polar bears don't die and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it backfires and goes to the extreme. It essentially, the globe is now one big ice age and it, effectively eradicated humanity eradicated life except for the people on this train Now we don't really understand so much why this train exists and how it exists and who got on it and who didn't and how that was all figured out but it doesn't really matter and ultimately at the end you can sort of you can sort of look at it as sort of just the the machinations of this just egotistical guy who who just with a god complex you know thought that he was the all almighty being but that aside it's basically a a war of the classes you have the rich people up front you have the poor people in the back led by chris evans and the only way to better their situation is to fight their asses through this train to the front to confront the leaders and stuff. So it's definitely a class warfare thing that what you've seen before, I mean that that type of movie exists mm-hmm. all over the place, but you've never seen it on a train, especially this particular train where each segment of this train is just one oddity after the other, just and it gets some at some points it just gets fucking bizarre the things that you see, and especially there's this one car where it's the school for the for the the wealthier kids and it's Allison Pill is the teacher, and they're basically brainwashing the kids uh to to and showing the movies about the guy who's the leader at the very front who we don't know who this is yet and stuff. And it's just weird as shit. Because it, it looks like they walked into a little schoolroom. Like Like, not on a train. Just like if you'd walked into a school room. And you came from a room that like had like a boiler or something in it. And all of a sudden, here's the school room. It's just, it's fucking bizarre to some hmm. degree. But it's, it's so intriguing. The whole process is so intriguing. Um, the ending... Slightly anticlimactic, but how it ends—it sort of leaves you with this this la- lasting image, which I won't give away here—and you're kind of like, "Huh, all right." And that's sort of where you tie together that the Ed Harris character was was a little bit more of, of ego-driven and and sort of insane, as opposed to uh, opposed to what the world really had become. So. Uh, four out of five, um, easily, for Yeah, me.
1: like I said, that one is definitely on my agenda for this weekend. I've been wanting to see it badly. And, and much like you, I'd never even heard of this film a month ago.
0: Mm.
1: All of a sudden, I'm just scared. and I'm like,
0: what? and Chris Evans is awesome in this. Mm. Um, and you don't get to see him in much. He doesn't do a lot out, no, he doesn't. Uh, outside of uh, the Captain America, the Marvel type stuff. Um, two left. Second one I saw earlier, and, and this it wasn't a documentary, but in, to some degree it, it might have it might have worked better as a documentary because I'm not sure it did as good a job at examining some of the questions it brings up. However, the movie is highly enjoyable as it stands now. So that that debate on how it should have been done is for another time um maiden trip is what i saw and basically this is the movie about the 14 year old dutch girl who became the youngest uh person to ever sail solo around the globe um and it starts out and i think when she actually finished the trip she was 16 but she was young enough And when she was 14, there was these, there was these court battles in Holland where she, where she lived. She actually, I think she was actually born in New Zealand, but her parents, they moved to Holland at some point. Um, And there was these court battles about, you know, you, they wanted to take the, the girl away from the parents. Because how do you let your 14 year old hop on a sailboat to sail around the fucking globe uh, and, and the question therein lies uh, what age, what we assign as a, as a society, you know, maybe a different, you may assign something different based on where you're from in the world or what, what the specific thing is, but we assign these arbitrary ages on something to say yes, you can or no, you can't.
1: Mm-hmm. Which I've always found crazy. Instead uh, of judging a person. By their own maturity level.
0: Well, and that's exactly, yeah. And I was always, I was I think the first time, I think I heard about this, because this was only a few years ago. I had heard about this, and my instinct was, like, how the fuck would you let your daughter jump into a sailboat mm-hmm. and do that? What kind of a parent would do that? Now, and maybe I'm basing a lot of that off the fact that I have a daughter that age, well, at least at that time, at that age. Um she she would never want to do that, but I, I just don't know uh, I, I was I was struggling to put myself into the mind of a parent that would allow that to essentially put your kid allow your kid to walk into a, a life and death situation, Yep, yeah. which is what you're doing in that in that scenario at the age of fourteen. So yeah, I mean, I know there's maturity levels, but you're still fourteen. I and even a mature fourteen isn't necessarily going to always make the right, right. choices in the right And experience. I would contend that
1: not all adults who really know sailboating are up to the task of right. going circumnavigating. Right, That's something else entirely. But it's one thing to go out for a day cruise.
0: What you learn throughout this, though, is that she knows exactly what she was doing. She's been... Sailing, doing this kind of stuff for her whole life, well, you know, which amounts to 14, 15 years at this point. So from a mechanic's perspective, she knows how to sail this boat. She, she plotted it. She mapped it out. Um, and, and what's cool is all the footage of her on this boat, she took of herself. There's no there's no cameraman on this boat with her. It's so we're all,
1: not talking a case where they had a boat following her the whole time. No,
0: okay. no, this is her on this boat with her, and, and it's not like found footage shaky cam shit. She she does a good job. She basically is just keeping like a video diary of herself on this thing. And sometimes you see she's showing you what's going on around her. Sometimes it's just her putting the stuff, talking to the camera a little bit about how she's get you know she's lonely and and. Uh, At one point, she's on the Indian Ocean, which is 6,000 miles from start. And it takes her like two months to get from one to the other because the wind stalled. So she basically just floated for days with getting nowhere because she had no wind. Um, It briefly touches on how she's going to go farther south to avoid any kind of pirate scenarios. And it briefly touches about when she goes around South Africa, how dangerous that can be. We don't really see that because, like I said, there's no cameraman here. And she probably had better things on her mind at that time than filming Mm -hmm. herself going through 60-foot waves. Right. Um, And and then she – this wasn't a – all she wanted to do was be the youngest, which meant she had a lot of time. So she essentially had planned out two years to do this. So – she actually stops in different ports of call along the way in St. Martin's um, uh, the Galapagos Islands and stuff and she spends a few days in these places on land and stuff like that does some repairs at one point her father flew out to where she was and and helped her with repairs and stuff like that so she's never out of touch this this isn't like that she'll go and and she's doing this mostly all by herself you know she's She's 15 years old and, and fending for herself on these islands, making friends, buying her foods and stuff like that. So she's very mature for her age. The, the, the thing that we didn't really get here um, is how dangerous this really was. This really is shown more. Yeah, there's brief mentions of, of South Africa. There's brief mention of, of piracy. But it's never really shown to be what it truly is. This is more or less happy story all around. This easily could have gone south very quick. Uh-huh. And we could all be having a completely different different idea of what is and what isn't. This just happens to be all good going around. But it's a fascinating thing to watch. Um, now I'm also one of those things where I don't think we should put arbitrary ages on things like that. You also don't come looking for a shoulder to cry on if it does go south. Um, if, if you want to climb Everest and you die in an avalanche, that's on you. It's not to me, not tragic. Mm -mm. You took it on. It is not tragic that you die doing something that you really shouldn't be doing. Right um but like i said this is happy ending um all around it was just it was interesting as hell to to watch it i wish we would have gotten a little bit more of the a little bit more discussion around what is acceptable what isn't acceptable and why we put these arbitrary ages on stuff and that just seems sort of like uh well we sort of have to give it some mention but that's really not the focus of the film Mm -hmm. doesn't take away from the experience I think a documentary feature about this, maybe including some of the other other uh, young people that have done this before, would be an interesting take for a documentary that could uh, zero in on some of those questions. But that aside, this is an entertaining watch. Did
1: it get into why she really wanted to do this? What was there? A why?
0: Um, she just she initially just wanted she just wanted to do it, and she wanted to be the youngest one to do it. Uh, throughout the course of it on the trip she sort of loses her interest in becoming the youngest um she said that many times when she passed by new zealand she just wanted to turn for new zealand and stay there because that's where her her home was it's even uh even um when uh halfway through the trip she takes her Holland flag down and puts the New Zealand flag up and goes, "I'm not sailing for Holland anymore." So it was weird. She seemed to have a little bit of bitterness in her towards Holland for some reason, but that's never really examined. Hmm. Her parents are divorced. Um, I'm
1: assuming plenty of money there. There has to be.
0: Well, it, it, that's another thing. They, you would think <clears throat> it's another thing they don't really go into.
1: There has to be. I
0: mean, you don't. Know, to some degree, I, I'm sure there was people that sponsored her on this trip, and you know. You oh, know I
1: remember she, this actually hitting the news that she wanted to do it. Like like you, I do remember the the discussion around it.
0: But uh, it, completely interesting, um, r- real interesting, um, uh, an easy four out of five. Right. Uh, but I'd still like to see a documentary feature about it. Um, and the last movie I saw. Is my favorite movie of the year to date. Um, I saw Chef. Slow down for a second. Is this boring to you? No, I like it. Yeah, well, I love it.
1: Everything that's good that's happened to me in my life came because of that. I might not do everything great in my life. Okay, I'm not perfect. I'm not the best husband. And I'm sorry if I wasn't the best father. But I'm good at this. And I want to share this with you. I want to teach you what I learned. I get to touch people's lives with what I do. And it keeps me going and I love it. And I think if you give it a shot, you might love it too. Yes, sir. Now, should we have served that sandwich? No, chef. That's my son, get back in there. We got some hungry people. He's ready to cook. Yeah, I John, really want
0: to see it. John Favreau's uh, sort of passion project. Um, he's he's a chef in a restaurant, and he's always been known as this edgy chef with all this promise. He had, uh, um, but he he sort of just sort of fallen into the the restaurant mode uh, owned by Dustin Hoffman, and he basically was just churning out the same menu over and over and over. And a critic came in, a, a food critic came in one night, and just destroyed him, um, basically saying what. The, apparently, he had known this this critic from way back, and the critic had always like pumped him up and and, and given him accolades and stuff. But he says, like basically, he's just turned into this this chef. Anybody who works in a kitchen could probably push the same food out every night." And while the food's not horrible, it's just bland shit. He's lost his creativity, he's lost his edge, he's just stuck in this rut. And Dustin Hoffman's just kind of a douchebag. It's like, people come here for the food on this menu, you cook the food on this menu. And he just, John Favreau ended up storming out. He's divorced, um, uh... Sophia Vergara is his ex-wife, so that, that's sort of like, alright, John Favreau is never pulling Sophia's. You gotta love when directors
1: ca- yeah. like cast themselves <laughs> a movie and cast those kind of love interests.
0: Exactly. Um, and, and they have a kid together who's, I don't know, he's probably like 11, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they go down to Miami, and John Leguizamo is like his sous chef at the restaurant and stuff, but but he's completely faithful to, to Fabro. And they go down there and they, they buy this old beat-up truck and they convert it into a food truck. And they just spend all this time creating these concoctions and, and all, this, all this stuff. And they decide to take this food truck across the country back to California where they're from. Stopping at all these different locations and stuff. And it's just this huge success and dude, do not go into this thing hungry, do not go into this on a diet, because this is two hours of absolutely glorious food porn. Do they, they make any good looking pasta dishes? They do. Oh, fuck. There is a good one, Scarlett Johansson gets to eat it. She's sort of in it as sort of like the bartender at the restaurant and stuff. You, you kind of get the sense that maybe he's got a little something romantic going on there, but they don't really pursue that to any degree. Um, and basically it's also about him reconnecting with this son, who he's never really had much time for. He's not, not a horrible father. He's just sort of an absent father. You know, the, the kid wants to spend time with him, but and every time they do, it's really all about... Favreau doing what Favreau wants to do. And, and anyway, they, he brings the kid, he, they, the mom and that stuff, they allow the kid to go with him across country for the summer because it's summer. And the kid's learning to cook, and he's learning the passions of, of Favreau's character. Um, and it's just the food alone, dude, to, to watch on screen. And this big, He even makes a grilled cheese sandwich like look like the greatest don't not grilled cheese sandwiches I like, I like a good grilled cheese sandwich but this looks like the best grilled cheese sandwich in the history of ever and basically their specialty is the cubano sandwich and you know yeah, how yeah, i yeah. like a cubano big sandwich. boy likes his <laughs> <laughs> and oh dude it's just it's insane um yeah this is just it's it's fun You know the whole connecting with the sun thing. It's it's there, but they're not they're not cramming that down your throat as the focus of the film. It just it just happens to be part of the story. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the main part. I think the main part is just to enjoy watching a guy sort of dive into what his real passion is. Yeah, exactly. It, It should it should inspire you from that angle more than anything that. That life's too short to not do what makes you happy. And that, for me, was sort of the big takeaway there. Um, and, and just well, through the food is just insane. <laughs> it's awesome. But, um, yeah, an easy easy four and a half out of five for me. Just, I loved it. Every bit of it, loved it. You know, I'm going to bring up a movie real quick. That they, it's I've never seen this.
1: I've seen a certain scene from this. I think most people have. Going on that idea of directors casting themselves as an actor yeah. and, and putting themselves in these spots. Have you ever heard of the movie The Brown Bunny? Yeah, director Vincent Gallo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do yeah, you yeah. know the scene I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, it's it, to me it, uh, all I could think of was the with Vargara, and the, I'm trying to remember who. Yeah, that
0: does not happen.
1: Chloe Sevigny yeah. had a. a, a no, there's no stunt double used in the scene. Right, and it's so clearly it's funny when you do see directors do that. They're like, who would be the, my perfect choice for my ex-wife?
0: Oh, some younger guy. Yeah, 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 no, yeah have a no, that works. Right.
1: <laughs> but um, good but, for Fabro. You gotta love Johnny Fabs, and I, 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 I love, the love that this movie's getting. Not that I've seen it, but just knowing that he's getting that kind of appreciation to me is awesome.
0: Right, and I think he needs to do more indie stuff. I mean, you know, cowboys and aliens. Uh, his, so much. Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. his, early
1: on he did a lot of kind yeah. of indie level stuff back in, in the 90s with the oh. kind of like mini mobster movies and yeah. stuff and like made and these yeah. were great films yeah. and he really needs to go back to yeah, those he's, he's on top of his game yep yeah.
0: so alright we'll break here and we will come back with some gratuitous monkey jumping <laughs>
1: lots of it Do not want war. You know the scary thing about them? They don't need power. Lights, heat, nothing. That's the advantage. That's what makes them stronger. We both have
0: families. You want to protect yours? I want to protect mine. It's our only chance for peace. Are you aware? No. They are going to turn on you.
1: They're animals!
0: Caesar, you're all. Who was that? A good man like you. Caesar loves
1: humans more than apes. If you threaten his family, he will retaliate. Don't shoot! <laughs> Don't you move! Should we shoot him? Maybe. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want a drink? <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, all right, easy, easy. Right. So, two years ago was that Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Three. three
1: because the oh. only reason I know is I saw it as a. I actually, you and I saw it, and then I went the following weekend to see it at the drive-in with Captain America. Yeah. The first one. Thanks. Nice.
0: So. Uh, surprisingly good flick, Rise. Yeah, it was. They, they could have done damage.
1: Yeah. And it really, we walked away thinking, wow, they did a good job.
0: Yeah. No, I, I thought it was, uh, well, I actually revisited it a couple of nights back just to sort of get back into monkey jumping mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, thought it was, I thought it was real interesting. Um, so, Matt Reeves is the director, and he brought us Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is the follow-up, which uh, takes place, I want to say, about ten years after... The Simeon Flu. Yeah, the Simeon Flu, which which we got a At dose... the end of, Yeah, we got the end rise. of there, which basically looks like it's eradicated uh, a, the majority of the human population yep. from what, from what it looks like. Um, dude, I don't typically pass around five out of fives, and I don't know that I'll give this a five out of five in the end, but man, it's going to be a struggle to not.
1: This was a very, very fun and strangely emotional movie, this... where I found myself with a lot of passion Around digital fucking apes, dude. Uh,
0: yeah, this this is. I'm gonna have to look for places where this didn't work, in order to not give it good five, luck. This
1: this movie gave it was an absolutely complete film. Yeah. There was a great storyline. Yeah. They've got such a fantastic idea. Um, you really, really, really care about the Caesar character. Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah. Um, what they've done with this digital ape, to me, not just the look, but everything about his character, they basically turned him into an Abraham Lincoln type. Yeah. And you fucking love him. Yeah. I, I don't know how it's possible to do that with a goddamn digital ape, but they're pulling it off.
0: I mean, you know, props to Andy Serkis for his work in the motion capture Mm stuff. Still don't think, still think if you're going to talk about Oscar, there needs to be a category for that type of thing. Which
1: I I could be on board if they were going to create a category. I'm sure. Fine. But I agree with you. You can't put him in best actor, and I do get that he, all the movements and the voice or anything else Mm -hmm. is basically him with these little tennis ball things all over him. And then for motion capture, it's still motion capture. Right. And, and people need to be called off that ledge a little. You can only compare motion capture to other
0: motion capture. I, I agree with that. Um, I I'm not even sure where to begin here. I mean, well, this is... let's
1: let's begin the the story itself. Is, again ten years in the future, and this is told this begins in the eyes of. The, the monkey colony, the, and there's yeah. the Merse Woods, Muir Woods that we saw that they went to outside of Frisco. Yep. But r- during the, the beginning credits, they basically do the, the classic map shot of the spread of the simian Flu. <sighs> right. But the interesting touch here is it was also done with the spots of light. And as you saw the simian Flu go, spreading, you saw not only just civilization dying off, but all power was clearly. So you were seeing a living map. With the lights going out. So it ends with just blackness. Uh, Mm Society as we know is gone. Cut to the apes who have now created their own society. Led by Caesar. In the same era but they have the spot that they consider home that is much bigger than just living in trees. Right. They've created their own full village here. Yeah. Ape type village. By village. Right. Um, And well uh, out... On a hunting party, not hunting for anything but food. Specifically, they were fishing, actually. Yeah. It was Ash and I'm trying to think of what the name of... Uh, Rocket. Not Rocket. Yeah. No, it was the two boy, the two boy monkeys. It was, oh, it was uh, Caesar's, Caesar's son. son I don't know what his Which name it was. was a two name. It was like... Rocket was red. Ash's father, though, wasn't he? Yes. Okay. Yeah, which is why Ash and Caesar's son get along right. so well, because Rocket gains so much respect for Caesar. Right. Yeah, um, I, don't know,
0: I don't know what Caesar's son It was a
1: two-name...
0: Ah, uh, Blue Eyes. Yeah, they they, it was
1: something Eyes. They called him Blue Eyes. Um,
0: I'm not sure that was his real name. Or name I don't know.
1: Or but they, they only kept saying it. Apparently. Um, but they stumble upon a human who, after they've already said that they hadn't seen any sign of humanity in two winters. Yeah. So, but they've assumed that humanity's gone and they, for their part, the monkeys haven't gone back to Frisco. They've just basically said, that's human land. Caesar claimed this, our land. Human land is human land. This is our land. Humanity's killing itself off. And enter dumb human wandering up a path yeah. who makes a mistake. And this is no spoiler because you see it in the trailer. He, he shoots one of the monkeys right. as a reaction. Instead of just taking the high road, and basically sets off the chain of events that is our movie here right. of humanity's introduction back to here. That we find out that there is humanity, but it's literally pockets that are struggling to survive. Right, and and they have what there is of humanity in Frisco has an ask of Caesar when they realize that Caesar's colony is still there. They specifically need to do something in those woods, and we'll see if them are allowed to do so
0: Well, right, because there's a power station there. A, a that, dam. A, yeah, a dam with, with, that they want to get back going up mm-hmm. to give power to the city. Um, and what I thought was interesting about this is that this this they took such care in this movie to not give us cliched, human trope. It would have been very easy to like fuck a monkeys, just kill them and get right. them out of our way. They don't do that. They 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 come from an angle like, look, we just need to do this. We'll respect your space, you respect mm-hmm. our space. And it's that type of thing. It's a it's a it's a tense, tenuous relationship between these two because they don't really trust each other, but they don't just automatically turn to that Typical humanity is is just is, are bigger animals than the actual animals, right. and you know, like like Avatar is a good example. It's like, well, humanity is just ignorant, and they don't go there with that. And I thought that was no, really refreshing. In fact,
1: the only time they even come close to that. They treat the area character as a bit of an idiot, and that's Gary Oldman's character who makes the comment that they're animals. But it was in there; it was still reactionary. Well, their first thought wasn't, "We will go out and take."
0: Right. Well, by the time, yeah, Gary Oldman's uh, his react he was reaction reacting to the fact that the apes came and attacked. Right. Him. So, so nobody really, with the exception of of uh, Kirk Acevedo, I think was his name's character, the mm. guy from Fringe. Who you know? I will admit that some of the characterizations of the humans was very familiar. You always and even on the ape side, you got the one rogue douchebag who 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 can't see past his own nose at what's really going on there. And you have the you know, Carrie Russell's in this, uh but she's really just sort of tagging along. She's the Florence Nightingale right. thing. And
1: conveniently she was a doctor. Right, and I was right. waiting for that when she saw the Yeah Caesar's sick wife. Right. I'm like, oh wait, this is where Carrie Russell says I'm a doctor. They didn't right. come out and use that exact line. It's I have medical supplies.
0: Right. Um and uh you know was it Jason what's his name? Clark. Jason Clark. He's the the main lead in this. And you could tell he was going to be the, you know, take over like the Franco role to, Mm -hmm. to, to be the guy who's sort of like the, the face of the humans that will, that will meet with Caesar and stuff like that. But even on Caesar's side, even on the apes side, you see those same tropes with Koba being the, the rogue douchebag and, Mm -hmm. and such. And then, and then, you know, he has, Caesar has his supporters in Maurice, the orangutan and, and whoever. But, it, it never it never veers down it, It's always making you question and not just this isn't just some summer blockbuster thing where you, you can check out of. It, it's, oh
1: no. you
0: know this, it's always making you question what the ethical ramifications are here and, and, and who, whose side you support. It, this is one of those things here where you can see both sides of this mm-hmm. story. There's there's nobody here to really root for. There's no side to root for Dude, because they're both reactionary I even, the a, I even saw
1: Koba's side sure. during the great scene where where he what he's pointing at when they're he's talking to Caesar about what humans have done and he points yeah. to different stars. Yeah. Human, right? Human, human. You going, I fucking get it. If your entire existence around humanity was to be the test subject. Right. Because we're not willing to test on ourselves. We're going to think ourselves higher than these beings. And we're going to use you as our test subjects. Right. I would get the reaction that he would have. That, fuck it. No, we've got to eradicate human. Right. That makes perfect sense. So, yeah, you find yourself getting caught up in the... I honestly don't know who to root for.
0: Right, and the problem with with Koba, where yes, you can, but he also sort of breaks the ape creed. Right. He's willing to, he he doesn't really care what the fallout is in the ape world. He doesn't care if apes die as long as his mission of eradicating humans is accomplished. Hmm. But then you have Caesar, who knows that war can't, they'll never have a peace they'll never have their home and and you know to to whatever degree they won't have their their integrity if they go to war with the humans mm-hmm. um he realizes that ape and human can coexist because they have completely different habitats right they they don't need to go to war against each other and i and i also think that he part of the conversation
1: about the humans what was left early on was he's also done the numbers game here too right. and it's not like human there's enough humans up that were expanding everywhere right. they were struggling to survive so if he if he allows the humans to have their little piece to get their damn going to get their power back humans going to be perfectly happy with what they've got in Frisco. Right. because that's all they've got there's right. no reason to go in monkey right. In the monkey land
0: right right it's it's not like like i said what this movie is so careful to do is not look at it from the typical humans just a douchebag thing, and they're out for for the money or out for or you know whatever it is. Um, yeah, there's no reason for these humans to want anything other than to fix this thing, get their power, and you monkeys can do whatever it is right. you monkeys do out there. We won't bother you. You don't bother us. But it's just I think it's just the natural order of things that two groups that are you know basically in opposition fundamentally there's always going to be that one guy that one rogue guy that's going to to fester up the the conflict and that happens from both sides here and some of those scenes when the the early scene where caesar and and all the apes march on san francisco to warn them to just stay the fuck out Awesome. That was an
1: incredible scene. Even though I did find myself <laughs> thinking, "This, and this is me being a dickhead, picking things apart." There's no horse that's carrying Maurice. Oh, no. <laughs> no. It, it, no, a full-grown male orangutan you get that big. That, I there was uh. one I saw at the the there's a a simian reserve in outside of Tampa. That's basically a lot like the big cat. It's these movie monkeys and stuff that have been cast off. They have an orangutan in there. That thing is fucking Maurice size. It Jeez. was a beast called named like Pepe or something. It was constantly putting his hand up. Yeah, I'm watching that going uh, that. No, you need you need to go Clydesdale if you're going to carry that some right, bitch. Right. But that aside, it was a fantastic scene, and, and the message of the scene was yeah. also great. Yeah, this human land. Monkey, home there. Stay the fuck out of it. Right, and if that's we can coexist, that's fine. And it also did what Caesar made a point of say. because was it? It was Rocket who'd approached Caesar about the the claim that they needed to show that they're strong. Yeah, that they couldn't let this go. That let the shot, the gunshot wound of Ash mm-hmm. go un, un, unnoticed, and it did it. About time you you are this pocket of humanity. Behind your wall, without any power or anything, and all of a sudden you see a thousand freaking monkeys and silverbacks and everything else come down. Oh, by the way, some on horseback. Right. And then one talks to you. Yeah. All right. All right. We're, we're good with we're this. We're good. You are fine. We built, know what? We'll build fires. Right. <laughs> and and even at that point, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm like. At this point, if I'm humanity, I ain't even asked for the power piece. Right. We will find another way. Because clearly their numbers aren't even something we don't want well, to do. Get, I
0: think it was the funniest line in, in the movie. Was he goes, it's a hell of a lot more than 80. Right. <laughs> well, that's
1: the thing is, when early on when they were, were, were t- discussing that, they said, well, we saw about 80. I'm thinking... Your math is way different than what I've seen, dude. That village had way the hell more than eighty.
0: Did you enjoy what they did with the Koba character,
1: with the arc around it? Yeah, I did,
0: and again, especially when he when he like when he's when he gets caught by those two dudes and he decides to just go stupid. I freaking eight.
1: love that dude because <laughs> I'm sitting there going, here we're sitting there thinking. Yeah, he's playing the stupid ape. But are there apes that are processing things at this level that they know that if they play stupid for human, human's going to give them whatever the fuck they want. Right. In this case, human did give them everything yeah. they wanted. I love that scene. Right? It was started with him giving the the freaking yeah. sound, and yeah, yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of plays up and wanders
0: off. Well, yeah. The first time it's just about survival. And then the next time the it was setting time, their asses yeah, he up. Had, he had a plan, but. I actually, I thought
1: Koba ended up being such a well-done character in yeah. this. And again, because I had to keep putting myself in the mindset, this, thing, this, is, this is dude who's been tortured. Yeah. Flat out tortured by the same people that he knows exists still, that he thought were wiped off the face of the earth.
0: Yeah, he doesn't differentiate. He and not only human
1: are they still there, they're still only like 10 miles from him.
0: Right, and they got a whole lot of guns.
1: Right. So why would he not react that way? Right. And if, if Caesar was going to protect them, why would Coba not think, okay, Caesar is showing weakness here. And one of the things that they've been very constant about with Koba is he is monkey in as much as the strong survive. And if they feel, if he feels that Caesar's weakness is his caring about humanity... Then he'd want to eradicate that too. And that's how he could make the step. And I'm talking about a freaking digital monkey here right, like a right, human. Right, 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 right. But that's how he could make the step. Then this is not ape killing ape. This is ape killing human lover. And right. that's different. This is one of those whatever it takes to get rid of the problem, the threat being humanity. Which they knew had plenty of weaponry that if we if humanity had invaded <laughs> All that weaponry would be problematic to stop.
0: Great. How how did the Phillips seventy six get in the middle of the woods? I I don't <laughs> know. <Hey>, even though <laughs> because that, that look part like of a drive up thinking... gas station. <laughs>
1: Well, it was, though, it wasn't in the middle of the woods, because they, the first shot of it showed that there was a highway sign right in front of it. The highway, the basically earth, that nature it had reclaimed grew,
0: it. grew over enough, I guess. But like, it, I'm not sure nature g- grows that much in actually years, here, but...
1: supposedly they say within three or four years, nature, actually. There was actually a show on to it, just a degree? matter of... I don't know that... There was a show that they did on Discover just like two or three years ago that discussed it, that... If humanity is totally removed from the situation, that nature reclaims very, very quickly.
0: I guess that makes sense. I mean, you, you look at, you know, how quickly your grass grows mm-hmm. for a few days. But, yeah. I, I, Especially
1: if you're talking the perfect situation. Right. And, and this kind of would be. Um there's a part of me thinking, the last thing Monkey's going to want, though, is... This 76 thing sitting here with its power on and everything else. Because that is a constant reminder if you hate humanity. That humanity still exists. Oh, it's awesome. That was it is funny (laughs) that there were only two songs in the whole movie. One was the theme. Right. And the other was that song. And it could have been a more perfect choice. it It was
0: absolutely awesome. Um what was your take on the whole did Koba just, he wants to eradicate humans, but he, he sort of doesn't. He wants to maybe make some of them pay in the form of what they did to him. Because they don't just arbitrarily start killing the, we'll call them the innocents, the ones without the guns and stuff no, like that. No, they were going to put them in cages and, and them make them suffer the
1: same fate.
0: Right. You cool with that?
1: And by cool the thought of being locked up well, in no, a cage no, no, by a monkey? Probably
0: not. And yes, t- I would
1: sling my shit at
0: him. <laughs> they portrayed Colba <laughs> as this kill-them-all type character, but then all of a sudden it's like, eh, okay, well, we're going to make sense. That, that transition happens pretty quick.
1: Here's the angle I took on it. There was a part of me that thought, Colba's officially destroyed their own town. Right. So not only is is Koba attacking human? Koba's already cited Frisco as where the, the where ape is going to end up, and if that's the case, then literally in his mind, he is reversing the relationship that human will be what's the word I'm looking at? Not subjugate, uh,
0: subservient,
1: subservient to ape, just like ape was to human in San Francisco. There will be deaths to go along with to get that point there, but they the, the humans can be a tool to use once they have them.
0: Gary Oldman doesn't get a whole lot to do here.
1: I actually thought Gary Oldman seemed pointless to cast in this role.
0: Kind of, and I kept wishing he was Brian Cranston. I like Oldman, but I saw Cranston on screen in that type of role.
1: Well, and it also comes in. I could see that because of how little we got from Cranston and Godzilla when he was 90% of the trailer, too. Right, right, right. Um, and, and in this, Oldman is a lot of the trailer, and Oldman ain't much of this movie. No. He's really not, and I'm not quite certain what Oldman's role was, other than maybe he was some form of intellectual he leader. Like,
0: you know, he seemed to be sort of like the leader for Or a, mayor
1: of whatever yeah. populace there is in this little pocket. What,
0: which makes it interesting in how... Jason Clark and his group were the ones that always went out mm-hmm. to do whatever. We don't really, we don't really know much about why those are the people that were sent out to do whatever. I mean, like I said, Carrie Russell as as the well, I, I don't think she was really his wife, but just sort of after everybody in the world died, yeah, she's just hooked they, up they with hooked them. Up. And then uh, the the son, who again. Other than to walk around with his little sketchbook and teach orangutans to read, really didn't have anything to do here. Um, So it's you never really know. Now the douchebag Kirk Acevedo Carter. Can can we
1: discuss this though with Kirk Acevedo Carter's character? If I know that he shot one of the apes and somehow they let us live, you know who I'm not bringing back to ape colony with me? His character. I don't care.
0: Well, they said. That
1: he he's the only one that knew the dam and knew that yeah. whole. But I still don't. I find I I have him do any schematic he can because if you want to make our our time with those apes even more sketchy, bring the one guy that they have every reason to hate.
0: Right.
1: And I yeah, I to me he got everything he deserved in this movie. Oh
0: certainly. You like the little monkey? Little monkey was cute, huh? <laughs>
1: I, I do you mean the little baby one? Yeah, yeah it was all right. Well, I'd love to have one of those especially knowing it's going to become an, an intelligent, walking on its right. two legs monkey. Right,
0: but yeah, it was it was fine. The ending. Um, I, I want I want to say something about the effects here when you. When you walk out of something like The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and want to punch or somebody or <laughs> even Transformers to some degree and stuff like that and you're like how can they do this movie so freaking generally perfect. The only piece of this that I felt was a little sketchy and it wasn't in the Caesar character but there was like uh, it was an instance there where, where one of the apes was on his back. It was after a battle of some stuff. And the eyes, it looked almost like a dude in a monkey suit mm-hmm. um, to some degree. But that's the only flaw I can see from an effects perspective. Even when all shit and, and hell is raining down, Fury, this looks so natural.
1: Yeah, there, there was one shot that they did, or one rendering, I should say, of Caesar towards the end st- when he stands up and there was a wind gust and you could see the ripples in his fur dude. Mm. And you could tell that they, they, they because it was when he was in the tower. So the wind would swirl in there and they showed that his fur would swirl, would swirl like the wind. It was just goddamn gorgeous yeah. and absolutely amazing. And I, that, and that's why I keep reminding myself they were digital apes. I, I you, this shows what, you can do. And thank God for the Weta studio for this level of detail because they are getting it right. They're getting a movie that I didn't 15 years ago. I don't think if you'd mentioned that they could do this with digital bullshit, you can't do it. Now we're getting the point where I'm going, yeah, you know, we can, we're getting to a point where we don't need people acting in movies anymore. You can get a rendering of them and you'll be able to do something with it. Um, it, it was just a, fucking gorgeous how, film
0: how do you how do you like the ending piece of this Does you feel like you feel like they're well established for another one and, and to be honest with you it's been so long since i saw the original planet of the apes and i'm not sure i've even seen all of them i have okay is, which is interesting because i've this... never
1: seen the tim burton one i will oh, go on I, record yeah, as saying i've never, seen, I've never that. seen
0: that either but i've heard that's not even worth the time um Is this falling in line with the progression of the originals? Yes. It
1: is. It is, But admittedly, the originals don't really get into the detail as to how we've come to this reversing of of fates here. Yeah. Uh, The only thing you really know... In fact, it's literally one of the latest shots in the film, the whole, damn you, with the, the Statue of Liberty. That's when the reality hits that this where he's ended up is actually Earth
0: yeah.
1: in the future and that monkey has become what human was. Right. So they really don't get into the detail of how we got to this point. So to me, this is all these fresh ideas they've got really going a great a fantastic way towards giving us that. Right. That they're they're not there. a lot of times if you go prequel and just start making shit up, it seems stupid. This seems like they're coming to a pretty logical place even though it also seems like the next movie is going to be just one big fucking battle.
0: Well, that's what's interesting about this cuz you know they they allude to that all of a sudden there's this militia of humans coming to help San Francisco mm-hmm. and they barely scrape the surface on on that even happening. Right. So it was strange to me at the end of this when when Jason Clark's character is basically saying, you guys, you apes need to get out of here because shit's going to start happening here. And he's basically like, no, you need to leave because this war's already started. And I, I struggled with that for a little bit. Like, I I really don't get why the apes can't go away here. Because... I'm not sure because Oldman is I'm assuming dead at this point. I I don't know how Jason Clark escapes that whole thing unscathed, but whatever. Um, It it seems to me like the Jason Clark at this point could make a case for being the Caesar character for the humans here, and sort of if the monkeys go back to wherever the monkeys want to go to. I don't know that when this militia shows up that the militia doesn't really have any. They've got no horse in this race at this point. Except for the fact that we've also got a whole
1: bunch of humans that had just been herded into cages by psychotic monkeys. And will and they true, want retribution?
0: True. And if Jason Clark and his family had been killed, where there's no voice of reason for that, I could see that a little bit more. But. Yeah. And. and- I agree with you i this
1: is one of those that you can go through your mind over and over and over again, and that's why I actually like the line that the war is going to happen. ape's the one who brought it on
0: right. that
1: it didn't need to happen because there are plenty of people that would listen to Jason Clark and say you
0: and there's if plenty you, of people going. Okay, yeah, going. No, push-
1: wait a second. Go. My boy was just killed by a fucking monkey. Right. We, they're just stupid animals. We've right. now got the militia. Let's get them. Yeah. Let's hunt every one of them down and wipe them out. So I, I can see both sides, and I think that was the entire intent of it.
0: Well, and like I said, that's where this film just is so brilliant. Is that? Yeah, you know you're supposed to hate douchebag Kurt Acevedo, and yeah, you know you're supposed to, to. Root against the Koba character, even if you understand where he's coming from. But this this pulls you in so many different directions on who you're going to root for, at whatever given and whatever you time. can see every viewpoint. and you can see every and, single and viewpoint. honestly,
1: you can even see Acevedo's viewpoint Absolutely. as the they're just fucking apes, right? And if we just go, we know what we've got for weapons back at the camp. Right. We'll just go kill them off, and then the power is ours, and we're good.
0: Yeah.
1: You can see every side of this. Yeah. And,
0: and that's why it's brilliant.
1: Yeah. It, 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 and I cannot wait to see it again.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Caesar's whole, you know, the, the realization here that we are no better than humans. That we're just, we're essentially restarting this entire cycle again. Mm-hmm. And that it's it's apes that cause, the the admission here that... Apes are the ones who actually caused this. Mm -hmm. Is is just it's refreshing because humans always cause this in movies.
1: Yeah, and I would agree with you. That to me won me over almost instantly. I'm like, I I I like the fact that Koba is the one causes that. Koba is the one that that lit the fuse that started all the events, and then still ran with them. Right, And, and to me it. Because this could have gone the Avatar route. And I'm, I'm not trashing Avatar. I love Avatar. But Avatar feels weaker when you watch it again and you start getting into the bullshit tropes. And the, the total fuck humanity approach that, uh, right. that they Human, love falling yeah. into. Right, 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 because right. this movie, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, stayed so clear of it. Yeah. And it basically just gave you a... You, think, think about it, watch it, whatever you want to. Here's, here's the way it played out. And it was awesome.
0: Yeah, I wish they had done a little bit more with Carrie Russell and some of those side characters, but that's really the only flaw I can come up with mm-hmm. here. Um, I'm going to give it a 4.75 because <laughs> I gave a, a, because I I I just don't feel, I think it's I love it. It's too fresh in my mind to just blurt out yeah, five.
1: I'll go 4.5 out of five. This could easily jump to a five out of five on a repeat viewing.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I just did the article this week of my top ten films of the year so far. Um, what was your
1: tenth? What did what just Grand, got knocked Grand off? Grand
0: Budapest Hotel was number ten.
1: Ooh, you got going to knock a Wes Anderson oh, yeah. film off? Oh,
0: certainly am. Um, I, I don't know ultimately where this this lands. I. I I certainly put this higher than the other two blockbusters. I was going to say, there.
1: this may be my favorite of the summer thus far. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, uh, of the, the, certainly of the, of the, of of those the blockbusters. blockbuster films. Right. I, I I still think I ultimately... Uh, I, and, and it's apples and oranges. I still think Chef is my favorite of, of the summer. But this, this probably falls into the number two slot. And you know
1: what's interesting? Because we had... Not as high-ranking, but we had the same kind of discussion around Rise of the Planet of the Apes, too. That what we got, we were fucking blown away with. And all of a sudden, that summer, we had a movie that we felt was to be reckoned with.
0: Yeah. It, it was that was good. tremendous. Absolutely tremendous.
1: So, that's... See this goddamn film. Uh,
0: no doubt. Caesar, this goddamn film. Um, oh,
1: wow. See what I did there?
0: Um, anyway. And so, there are one listener. Three weeks. Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: This is going to be an interesting podcast because that's going to be an interesting day. It's
0: going to be an awesome. Day. We have
1: Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: We have mangria.
1: We have four <laughs> bottles of mangria at twenty one point whatever percent. <laughs> we have Sasquatch films. We are yes, going to finally watch... a trilogy
0: of Bigfoot
1: films. Revisit the Bigfoot film that I know we've referenced on this podcast on more than one occasion.
0: We should we should record live while we're watching. I was movie. going to ask
1: you if you thought, at the very least, while we watch, if that would be a good one for commentary.
0: Yeah. And it's a no-pants weekend because your wife and daughter are leaving for well, vacation. No, there, will, there will, there be, will pants be pants because we'll both be <laughs> in the
1: same room. Whatever you, Sid just said, don't get that yeah, image in your no, head because no. that's not happening. No.
0: But, no, that's <laughs> going to be a blast. So, anyway, that's in three weeks. That'll be the next podcast. Yes, sir. Guardians of the Galaxy will certainly be the, the focus of it. Yep. And maybe, we'll, maybe we'll record the other thing. Uh, well, I was going to say, we.
1: yeah, I envision it being two podcasts. That way, if the second one goes awry, it can just disappear.
0: Right. So, that's it. We will see you in three weeks. Night.